As you find your way back, I'd love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, as we will find our way to verses 1 through 10. And the study sheet in your bulletin I know will be a help to you. I should give you a little heads up uh, about the study sheet, because I already I know that some of you, like I do, often fill in the little blanks before we even get to the sermon. I'd call it cheating, except I do it too. So... You'll notice there's an intentional blank this week. I know, I know, because otherwise you're going to get it wrong and say, man, somebody forgot something. No, it's on purpose. So the one that's an intentional blank is, is there intentionally. So anyway, don't fill it in. Oh, my goodness. Uh, where are we? Well, I want to I start by uh, remembering with you, if you were around in the late 70s, early 80s, in keeping track of things, you know that Jerry Bridges wrote this handy little book that went, uh, uh, well, I'd say viral in the Christian community called The Pursuit of Holiness. It was pretty popular in the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, a subtitle, The Christian's Joint Venture with God, and it was a book that kind of it, it, it kind of cracked the whip a little bit. It said, you know, you, you know Jesus is your Savior? Well, let's get on with it. You know, you want to follow Christ or not? Are we playing games here? Are we just chatting about it? It's just like a club you joined on Sunday? Well, we'll pony up and let's go. All right? So it's kind of a little, I mean, a little push. I mean, verse, let me just tell you the chapter 3 Ted title there says, Holiness is not an option. Like, wow. All right. So away we go. Now... With that in mind, 13 years later, same author, wrote a book called Transforming Grace, Living Confidently in God's Unfailing Love. And he tells at the beginning of this book, and he wrote a lot of other books too, uh, about a conversation he had with uh, a lady who said, I can't believe the same writer wrote both. Because this book was perceived as kind of a, uh, well, a, a rule-making, a come on, let's go book. And this one was a little more of a hug to put it in broad terms. Well, he also wrote this book, which we've used in some of our biblical counseling classes, which are coming up, a seminar, coming up uh, February, March or so, called The Discipline of Grace, God's Role and Our Role in the Pursuit of Holiness. And uh, Jerry Bridge is just a wonderful guy. He's with the Lord today. Uh, his books had different purposes. He, never, he didn't retract this at all, pursuit of holiness. He did not. But he tells a little later uh, that he wishes he'd added an, extra, added an extra chapter to talk about the significant role of grace in our pursuit of holiness. Well, I want, to, I want to piggyback on his first chapter in the discipline of grace as a lead-in to our text today, and it is that. His first chapter is entitled, How Good is Good Enough?, and it's a discussion of how we view ourselves before God, how we view ourselves receiving God's pleasure. What does that look like? And so he, he gives a little scenario here, and I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs. I always try to tell you if I'm using somebody else's stuff and I'm using somebody else's stuff, so you don't think I made this up. Well, here you go. Uh, he says this. You, you think about this for your own life. He says, consider two radically different days in your life. The first one is a good day spiritually for you. You get up promptly when your alarm goes off. 
And I realize that's not a measure of holiness, but it's, it's, I'm just saying it's what he says. You get it promptly when your alarm goes off. You have a refreshing and profitable quiet time as you read your Bible and pray. Uh, some of us use the term quiet time or have used the term quiet time to refer to the uh, time you spend with, with God, reading the Bible, praying. Others of you don't use that term, but he does. Uh, so he says, your plans for the day fall into place. You somehow sense the presence of God with you. To top it off, you unexpectedly have that opportunity to share the gospel with someone who's truly searching. As you, as you talk with that person, you silently pray for the Holy Spirit to help you and to work in your friend's heart. The second day is just the opposite. You don't arise at the first ring of your alarm. Instead, you shut it off and go back to sleep. When you finally awaken, it's too late for a quiet time. You hurriedly gulp down some breakfast and rush off to the day's activities. This sounds normal for some of us, doesn't it? Yeah, he says, you feel guilty about oversleeping and missing your quiet time, and things just generally go wrong all day. You become more and more irritable as the day wears on. You certainly don't sense the presence of God in your life. That evening, however, you quite unexpectedly have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who really is interested in trusting Christ as Savior. Now, would you enter those two conversations with a different degree of confidence based on whether you'd had a good day with God or a bad day? Would you? And he's going to talk about that for a couple of pages He's, he's wanting to, to, to ask us uh, how we view receiving God's pleasure or smile. Is God happy with me today? I didn't read my Bible. Is he mad at me? Okay, I was speeding on the way to work on purpose. I thought evil thoughts of the person in the car next to me. They were in the carpool lane. One person. Oh, Judgment. Good day, bad day, and do we, on a bad day, do we, do we have a sense that God is not happy with us? You know what I'm talking about? Good days, bad days? They may look different for you. He painted very gentle good days and bad days. A couple pages later, he says this. We need to continue to hear the gospel every day of our Christian lives. He says, only a continuous reminder of the gospel of God's grace through Christ will keep us from falling into a good day, bad day scenario, thinking that, we're, that our daily relationship with God is based on how good we've been. And of course, what he's pressing on here is the error we often fall into, we do, that says, today I've behaved myself as a good little Christian. God sure likes me today. And another day, I just, I, I just, I'm off on the wrong foot every day, all through the day. God must not like me. God won't bless me. God's going to get me for this one. Hmm. Interesting. Book of Galatians is all about the gospel. Uh, what it is in its expression and what it looks like in its daily application. So for these weeks, uh, which there'll be many, as we study the book of Galatians, we want to talk about not only an expression, like how do you say the words of the gospel, but how do you live in it? What does this look like when we have a lot of bad days? I mean, come on, we do. Do we earn the favor of God? Or do we rest in his favor? Well, we want to think about these things. And today's text helps us with that because there's a running controversy going on that's about the gospel. What does it look like? 
Uh, what do you add to it? Or don't, don't, don't add to it. How's this, how's this look? I want to pray for us, that God would help us to, to hear and to understand his word today. So join me in that, if you would, please. Father, I thank you for those who have gone before us, even Jerry Bridges here now in your presence, who, who, who press us to think carefully about the gospel. And we need to do that. I thank you for the, the part of the Bible that's open in front of us today and our chances as a church this morning to open the Word of God and to, to think about such important things that just relate to how we view ourselves before you every day we live. Our Father, would you, would you direct us carefully into Word that we'd rightly handle the Word of God? The Spirit of God would use your truth to, to probe our hearts. What do we really believe? We just say we believe things. Do we really believe it? What does it look like daily? Father, would you help us with these things even now? That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we uh, two weeks ago began a study through the book of Galatians. We'll be here for a while. Time off, of course, at the holidays and then continuing after the holidays to about the end of February or so. But uh, the heart of the gospel, and I have a little introduction there, of course, some things we've talked about in the past couple of weeks why we're studying this book, and I mentioned two weeks ago that the, the cultural ocean, I call it, that we swim in calls for compromise, imprecision, and doctrinal vagueness, even, even celebrates those things. And, and in that kind of a world, we need, we need some precision when it comes to the gospel. Pastor Tyler last week took the last part of chapter one, talked about the gospel not being man-made, but nobody made this up. It certainly wouldn't be because whenever people make up a religious system, they want to add some kind of works they do. We like, to, we like to know where we stand, so we, we add things to help us kind of earn it a little bit. We said last week, the gospel's from God, it's for God, and we talked about what that meant. Well, today's text, of course, it's, it's broken up in our Bibles by a chapter heading, or chapter 2. As it originally was presented, it was a letter that was more seamless, so there's really not a division but today's text, this, this section of 2, 1 through 10, continues the argument from the first part. So chapter 1, verse 6, is just a key verse in the, in the whole Bible where Paul says, I can't believe you people. We had the gospel all dialed in, and I walk away, and you guys are already selling it short, trying to add some kind of requirements. I can't believe it. And he, of course, gets pretty animated in his expressions about that. Verse 10 uh, certainly, if I was still trying to please people, if I was a people pleaser, I wouldn't be talking like this, but I'm not. And then we head our, ourselves toward chapter 2. So I want to read the first 10 verses of chapter 2, one of the two texts that we will end up talking about together today. But Galatians 2, 1 through 10, God's word, as we look at it together. Paul says this, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Here's a purpose clause for the purpose. Here's a reason. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. 
On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, which in this context is code for the non-Jewish crowd, the Gentiles, everybody else other than the Jewish group, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, and that's code word for the Jewish crowd, he, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through, through me for mine to the Gentiles. When James and Cephas, or Peter and John, seemed to be pillars, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All right. So, man, there's a battle shaping up here. And believe it or not, with all of the geographical elements, and I talked to them, and they said this, this is a battle for the gospel. What is it by which a person is made right with God? How do I get to heaven, and how do I live in God's favor day to day? That's what the big wrangling is about, and it is a big showdown. So I, I mentioned several things on your study sheet here just to help us think through this chapter or this portion. In the first verse, you see Paul going up to Jerusalem, and he mentions he went up by revelation, uh, God prompting him to go, and he took two people with him, Barnabas and Titus. And this is really a big deal, just those two. He mismentions the names, but think with me about them. He's going up, and this is, this is very strategic. Who's Barnabas? Uh, Book of Acts, he's called the son of encouragement. And he's, he's been around a while. He's known Paul from the very, very beginning when Saul first came to Christ. Uh, Barnabas was, was one of the people that God used to encourage Paul when he was still Saul, um, back when people didn't really believe he'd come to Christ. Barnabas came along and brought, he walked him right into the church and said, hey, he's one of us. So Barnabas was, I mean, he's on the good guy list, uh, an encourager. He's a, he's a unity builder. So Paul brings him along, and he brings Titus. Oh, my goodness sakes, what's the big deal with that? He's a Greek. He's a Gentile. He's not one of the Jewish guys. And he, he's going to take him right into a hotbed of Judaism. Now, I don't know if you want to be Titus then. You're the other guy, and you're walking into a, like a good old boys club. And here you go, and you're going to walk in as a Gentile who previously, I mean, you call the Gentile dog. You're going to walk in and say, hi, my name's Titus. You want to shake on that? You want to be that guy? And you don't know the reception you're going to get if people are going to go, huh, who's, who's, who's the guy over there? Well, he's, he's here with Paul. So Paul brings Barnabas and I think exhibit A, Titus. What are you going to do about this guy? That's what this is all about. You're going to, is, he a, is he part of the family or not? Let's just decide that right now. Or is he like one of the estranged cousins? He gets to sit in the other room at the kids' table. What's the deal, right, with Titus? Wow, this is a big deal. Now, I have in your study sheet, like other church councils, this is a big deal. It's a vital moment in church history. It really is. There have been other church councils down through the years to, to discuss critical issues of faith, and this is the first one. Uh, what's the gospel we preach What's the relationship of the gospel with Old Testament law? We want to talk about that this morning, by the way. There's a lot of confusion, even today in, in Christian churches, about what you do with the Old Testament. You just pitch it? Do you, what, what do you do with it? I mean, shouldn't we be doing I mean, there's a bunch of stuff back there that says to do. We don't do it. Shouldn't we? Well, what's going on? Or do we just say, well, there are parts of the Bible you ignore. Is that it? Well, we should talk about that, and, and we will. Now, to help us at this moment, though, I want to go back to 
book of Acts. This is the other text. We're going to be in Galatians most of the time, but I want to read a big section from Acts 15, okay? Uh, Those who study chronologies of New Testament events, the majority of them would believe that what's going on in Galatians 2 is the same event, or pretty close to it at least, of what's going on in Acts 15, what's called the Jerusalem Council. And this gives a longer, larger look at what's going on. And so I want to step into it for a moment. I'm going to read a big section from Acts 15, because here's, here's what's going on. We mentioned uh, last week, I believe Pastor Tyler was talking about this, the gospel was born in a very Jewish context, wasn't it? Jesus was a Jewish guy. All the disciples were Jewish guys, disciples, apostles. They're all Jewish guys. And you're in a Jewish culture, okay? Now, um, if you're going to share the gospel beyond a, a Jewish setting, how do you separate the gospel from its Jewish cultural elements? Or do you take any of those along and say you must do these things too? That's what's being debated. By the way, that's a really big deal because we do it too. We do it too. Uh, the gospel, we often think of in terms of American culture. Even the way we do church is American. Uh, other parts of the world, they don't sit in rows like this. They just don't do it. You might be in a little hut sitting on the floor. They don't, they don't do church the same. How do you... How do you separate the, the truth of the gospel from its cultural trappings? We struggle with this. Uh, again, more on this in a minute, but that's the conversation here. Born in a Jewish setting, but is the Jewish context an essential part of the gospel? So I read then Acts 15. Look at this, look at this big ruckus that's going on. Uh, I, probably the same event, it would seem, as in Galatians 2. So we read this from Luke uh, in the book of Acts, as he writes it. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And of course, circumcision was given to Abraham, sign of the covenant, and it's used as an example of all things Jewish here. Uh, After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, so big church fight, Uh, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and declared all that God had done for them. But some believers, see this, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, uh, Paul, of course you know, had at one point belonged to the party of the Pharisees, the strict observers of Jewish, uh, Jewish life. They rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Wow. So there's a crowd saying, no, we're Jews from the beginning. We're trusting Christ, but you, you know what? You're not pitching the Old Testament here, brother. See? Wow. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to, dis- to consider this matter. And a- after there had been much debate... Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? 
But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Amen. Right? That's it. There it is. Now, all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Stop for a moment. If you've heard me talk about some of these things before, you've heard me talk about signs and wonders. People ask about these things even today. Studying the book of Acts, I'm just going to give you a little piece of a bigger conversation. Clearly, signs and wonders in this context, I think, as with the book of Acts and the New Testament, were given specifically to validate the work of God among certain people. Okay? That's where I stand, and I think that's the implication here. What, what did the signs and wonders do? Well, that, what they said was, not only is God saving and drawing out for himself a people for his name from the Jewish crowd, but the Gentiles too, the nations. Look, he's validating it by some pretty cool stuff. So I think that's what's going on. All right? Well, there you go. Uh, after they'd finished speaking, verse 13, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins and I will restore it in the remnant of mankind that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles, what's it say? Who are called by my name. Imagine, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, he says, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. And from ancient generations, Moses has, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues, and it says it seemed good, and off they went to much rejoicing among the Gentile crowd in particular. So they, they summarized some things. They boiled it down and said, here's some things. Um, sexual immorality. You know what? It doesn't matter what culture you're from or what day you live. Knock it off. It's not the way we do it. And then he lists some other things that I think fit that culture in particular, uh, especially if you're going to go to a church potluck with, with, with a kosher Jewish crowd, things strangled and things with blood. You're going to bring that to the church potluck? You know what? If we're going to be one, you, there's some things you just need to not do. Don't do that if we're going to live as one. And so defer on these things. So he just kind of spells it out. But they leave out the whole obedience to the law as uh, summarized with the rite of circumcision for, for religious purposes. Well, there's more in that chapter. I want to come back to Galatians if you join me back here. I just want you to see that bigger context uh, going on, I think, beyond Galatians uh, chapter 2. Now, on your study notes, then third bullet point down, it isn't just a conversation about the spiritual element of circumcision. And that's clear in the book of Galatians because in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul references as well observing days and months and seasons and years. And that, that is a reference to Old Testament patterns and celebrations and feasts. Now, I, I, I want to say this. I gave you some more references there and point you to Colossians for a similar discussion. But listen carefully. When you read the Old Testament, of which I'm a fan, I love the Old Testament, uh, to read it as a Christian does not mean, does not mean, does not mean you throw it out, disregard it, any of that. The Old Testament is telling a story. It's paving the way for Jesus. And the Old Testament 
is laying out patterns that point to Christ. I, I use the example of arrows. It's, it's like directional arrows. It's pointing. It's pointing to one who would, be, who would come. Even in the, 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 the sacrificial system, it was pointing to a greater sacrifice to come. So when we deal with the Old Testament, we're not throwing it out. We're living in the awareness that Christ fulfilled the Old Testament. He's our Passover lamb. Christ is our, Christ is our purity. Some of the old uh, elements of cleanliness in the Old Testament, you, you labor to read. Sometimes you read Leviticus and some of these, and you labor and say, man, uh, unclean and clean and unclean and clean. And the New Testament comes along and says, guess what Christ does for you? He's your purity. You're clean in him. Wow. Sabbath. There's a big one. In the Old Testament, it's talking about Sabbath, right? Uh, very order of creation and so on. What's the New Testament do with this? This, this, the way I understand the flow of the Bible. Christ is our Sabbath. Hebrews chapter four, right? When you, when you come to Christ, you enter into Sabbath rest, capital S. Christ is the rest that Sabbath was pointing to. There's a greater rest. That's in Hebrews. There's another day of rest. There's another day of rest. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you enter into rest. What we mean by that is you cease from your labors. You quit working for it. See? You quit working for your salvation. You quit trying to earn favor with God, and you rest your weary soul in him, as the songwriter says. You cease from your labors, and you say, Christ, I trust you. Trust and rest are very, very similar in the Bible. And you rest in him. You say, I'm trusting Christ in him alone. I'm not working for it anymore. Sabbath was a picture of that. So Sabbath celebration, we didn't get rid of it. It's fulfilled in Christ. When you know Christ, every day is Sabbath. You live in Sabbath. New Testament times, worship took place. There was a shift from Sabbath to Lord's Day in honor of the resurrection of Christ. You see that pattern in the book of Acts. There was a shift, New Testament. There was a shift in the New Testament church to say, no, Christ is my Sabbath. So in honor of his resurrection, we're going to get together to worship on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. If you want to explore those things a little more, there's a helpful book. The title is the same as an older book. It's called From Sabbath to Lord's Day, edited by D.A. Carson. I haven't read that one, but somebody pointed it out to me because first service, I was referencing an older book that's out of print that I was moaning because I loaned it out to somebody um, like 30 years ago. <laughs> no, really. And haven't seen it since. And I've only found it in used bookstores, spindled and mutilated for about 100 bucks. And I, I, you know, you go, man. Uh, but it was a good book. But it was chronicling the journey of people of faith from worship on Sabbath to Lord's Day and why. Well, it appears that D.A. Carson edited a, a, a new book under the same title. If you'd like to discuss that more, if you, if, if you have people in your life or if that's been a struggle for you, my point in bringing it up is when we talk in the book of Galatians about, about circumcision as, a, as a, an issue in obeying the law, there was more to it than that. That was just given as an example. Uh, what day do you worship? Old Testament feasts. Now, look at your study sheet here. I want to I take a minute on this next little item. I want to make sure we get some things clear here. Uh, key issue, I say, there's a huge difference between doing something by personal choice, like attending a Seder, which is a celebration of Passover, and telling people that doing so is required for salvation. There's a big difference. So if you, as a, if, say, a Jewish person in Paul's day, here with the Galatians, if they said, okay, I get it, um, 
It's Christ and Christ alone, saved by grace through faith. But every year I've celebrated Passover. Can I still do that? What's the answer? Well, yes, you certainly can. Merry Christmas. You can even invite people over. You could, but don't you, but don't you turn around and say it's required for salvation. So you can do that. But be careful that you don't say on the next one, all good Christians do the same thing. See, that, that's why I left that blank. To be a good Christian, a person must, okay now, must what? I'm asking you. Careful. Careful what you write down. And if you want to write in that blank anything that isn't in the Bible, you are on quicksand here, my friend. To be a good Christian, you must, you must, well, look like us. Okay, no, not that. You must, you must use the same Bible version as me. You must like the same worship music as me. You must spend your money the same way as me. In honor of God, you must enjoy or not enjoy the same types of entertainment I do. Because all good Christians see it my way. I'm saying be very, very cautious about what you put in that blank. All good Christians do this. And if it isn't in the Bible, friend, you are probably on thin ice. I know that's a bigger discussion. I'm expecting community groups to have fun with that this week. Yeah, but what about? But what about? How could I, you know, come on. What? So enjoy that uh, discussion, that, that really fleshing out what we're talking about here. But that's the conversation taking place here in the book of, in the book of Galatians. Now, verses 1 and 2, that's our section right here, a gospel showdown. I mentioned Barnabas and, and Titus, of course, Paul going up by revelation. But he's ta- he wants to pr- take his, his understanding of the gospel that he received from Christ and bring it to these brothers and make sure that they're in unity. Uh, some have read this uh, to, to think that Paul is saying, I want to make sure I didn't get it wrong. I do not believe that Paul had any doubts in his mind that he got it right or wrong. I don't think so. He got his understanding of the gospel from the risen Christ. So I don't think he went up there and said, you know, trembling hands, did I get it right? No, he, he was very sure he got it right because he got it from Jesus himself. I think he was going up saying, man, you know what? If these guys are, are, are if we're not going to be on the same page, there's going to be a problem here with unity in the early church. And I sure don't want that. I think that's the danger he's working to avoid. Um, okay, I heard you turn the page, so I'm going to do the same thing. Verses 3 to 5 then, uh, the outcome, the outcome. This is, he's, he's excited about this. Not even Titus, who was with me, was forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So the Jewish brothers there said, you know what? That's a Jewish thing, the, the religious aspect of that. And you know what? Titus is, Titus is okay. Titus is one of us. That's, that's pretty good. That's a victory for the gospel. And as I have on your study sheet there, the truth of the gospel is is preserved, which is what he says in verse 5, that the truth of the gospel might be be preserved for you. Because the issue may be a different issue for Titus and and for you and for me. But no, it's Christ. It's Christ. Trusting him by by grace through faith plus nothing. Now, I mentioned there uh, this line, it fits also under what's to come. No culture owns the church, uh, sorry, owns the gospel. That includes ours, along with all our favorite cultural ways of doing church, the gospel for the nations. Now, a couple comments about this. I take this from verse 5, and of course, verse 7 underscores the same thing. If the gospel is going to be preserved, this victory, please please understand the broader implications of this. If, If Titus wasn't forced to be circumcised to prove himself to be one of the club, 
That means that the, the, that that group of apostles in Jerusalem understood. You don't have to become Jewish to be saved. May I add to this, not to the gospel, you don't have to become an American Christian to be saved, do you? No, the gospel is truly for the nations. A little little, uh, lesson in terms here. Interesting, if you uh, look up the words that are used, you come down to verse 8. It talks about um, Paul's mission to the Gentiles. The, The term that's used in the New Testament routinely is ethnos or ethne. That's, what, that's the word that's translated Gentiles. Now, what does that mean? Why do, I, why do I call out a word? I don't do a lot of word things like that publicly because I think you can send the wrong message. Ethnos, ethne, ethnic. Oh, my goodness. So Jewish crowd and then the nations. Ethnos or ethne can also be translated the nations. The nations. I don't know how that sits with you, but the term nations rings different than Gentiles. Paul's entrusted with the gospel to the nations. Think missions here. The gospels should go to the nations. For the gospel to go to the nations, it's got to be kind of unhitched from Americanism. You understand what I mean by that? Here's how we do church in America. Well, what country are you going to go to and say, no, this is the way you do church? This is a big deal in mission circles and in evangelism circles. When you share your faith with somebody who wasn't raised like you, not everybody's raised going to church all the time, okay? What what are you going to pack on their back to say, here's the way good Christians behave? And if you're in another culture, what about that? Here's the way we do church. We sing like this. Here's the order of a worship service, because that's clearly in the Bible. (sighs) Okay, it's not. No, there's just a lot of details of this. I like it this way. Now, as we'll talk about in a minute, nothing wrong with liking things a certain way, but to make it a part of the gospel is a real problem. So there's a victory for the gospel. Now, verses 6 to 10, I I summarize quickly. I call it the backstory and a conclusion uh, because Paul's going back and forth a little bit. He, he does show respect for the other apostles in Jerusalem. He does, but he also doesn't place himself under them. He, he views himself as an equal with them, and that's clear from the discussion. Um, they seem to be influential. That's right. Uh, I'm, that's fine with me if they're influential, but I wasn't caving in. I wasn't in fear and trembling uh, because of that. God doesn't show partiality. He's correct. He's polite in his interaction with them, but he doesn't defer in terms of their superiority to him. He knows that he was given apostleship by the risen Christ. Uh, Verse 7, of course, uh, sees two different mission focuses. There's a lot of missiological issues you could discuss here. A focus of mission on the Jewish crowd, uh, just great, wonderful. And a special call of God to take the gospel to another group. That's wonderful, too. So you can think about a lot of these things in terms of missions. One, one group, the apostles, saying, you know what? We really got a heart to take the gospel to the, to the Jewish crowd. And Paul come along and say, I want to go to the nations. Well, wonderful. There's something good about that. So what, these shouldn't be rivals. Well, that's more important than this one. My, my call to go here is more important than yours. Well, that's not true. Not true. And that's, there's a lot of things here to be fleshed out. Um, verse 6, he says, they added nothing to me. No, they saw that the gospel that Paul preached, he said, was the same as the gospel they preached. I mentioned verse 10. 
um, as well. Both groups agreed that remembering the poor, caring for the poor, really a critical, a critical thing. Um, Paul will say later in Galatians 6, uh, especially to those in the household of faith, um, that's still a big deal, isn't it? Loving people who have less, uh, especially in a day like Paul's when there were not a lot of social, uh, social services as nets to try to help people. Imagine living in a day when there were no formal food banks, no food stamps. Imagine that. No social security. When really, honestly, uh, somebody who didn't have help really didn't eat. Um, So we have our own social setting today and needs, but take it to a a much greater uh, significance here in Paul's day. A lot less help available to people. Even today, though, I know people still struggle. Now, I want to go to that part called responding to God's word, and I want to make a couple comments here um, summarizing, I suppose. Jesus did not come to get rid of or abolish Old Testament ceremonial laws. He fulfills them. I just want to make sure we get this straight, folks. I love the Old Testament. The Old Testament is wonderful in everything it teaches, and and it leads us right to Jesus. Um, Christ is the one who is our righteousness. He's the one who cleans us up. I also want to be clear about this as my second little bullet point there. It is not wrong to have personal or cultural preferences. I'm not spanking us for being American Christians. After all, we, we are. Here we are in America. So, and ditto for your family. I would not want to say or have you hear me say that in your family, if you choose certain ways of following Jesus, that that's wrong. Um, whether it's certain music things you're going to do or how you're going to honor a Sunday or ways you're going to spend your money or not, or choices of entertainment that you are or are not going to pursue. Nothing wrong with having family choices. We did that, especially in the years raising our kids. Guess what? There are words we don't say in our family, not yelling at everybody else, but in our family, we don't say the following words, okay? On the bad list. And here's some other things that are going to be on the bad list as long as you're living in our house. This is kind of the way it is. So we made up some family rules about how we're going to live. That was fine. It would have been a problem if we said, all good Christians will agree with us. That's a problem. But every family makes rules and things. No problem. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. And I give you a lot of examples of what that's like. The gospel must still be guarded. We must avoid the trap of legalism and the equally dangerous trap called license. That is doing whatever you want. Well, more to be said about all those. I want to summarize like this. And so please hear me carefully. And we're going to come to remembering Christ in communion. I am so glad for those who've gone before us who, so to speak, arm wrestled over these important issues to say, no, it's salvation by grace through faith plus nothing. There's nothing you can add to what Jesus did on the cross. Good day, bad day. I'm going to refer to that more in just a few minutes. Jerry Bridges, you know what? On your worst day, when you get out of bed cranky, for whatever reason, you trip over the cat and you say words that you thought you'd completely forgotten. You speed on the way to work and you did it on purpose and you liked it. Kind of <laughs> irritated with people all day on your worst day. Listen, if you're a child of God, I'm not saying those things are good. I'm just saying you are still a loved child of God. He doesn't love you less. He's not up there going, whose kid is that? No, you are his. See, that's the gospel. 
And the Spirit of God is going to kind of poke your heart and pull you back. But he doesn't love you less when you blow it. Come on, folks. Is that good news or what? Man, what if he did? Would he ever love you? Because what day are you really all cleaned up? What day are you all that? No, the gospel says, oh, my goodness, I am a loved child of God. I can rest, rest before him because Jesus died on the cross for me. Oh, man, that's good news. Wow, it's good. I want to pray for us, and then I'll talk about communion. We're going to take a few moments and remember Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you that we don't have to, we don't have to try just to be good all the time because we're not really good at that. Oh, we need the Spirit of God, yes, to shape our wants and to remind us of sin and to confess sin, all those things so important. But our Father, not to earn your favor. You've given us your favor in the gospel, in Jesus. Today, as we remember here the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, oh, Father, fill our hearts with great joy. Thank you for what Christ has done on our behalf. Thank you that we can rest our weary souls in you. I pray that in these moments, our Father, turn our hearts toward you in worship and celebration. We honor you now in Jesus' name. Amen.